podcast. If you'd like to learn more about LACC, please visit us online at lansingchurch.org. This week, Josh Lutz continues the God's People Birthed sermon series with a message about covenant. So this is the second sermon in this sermon series about Abraham. And so we're like, hey, we ought to sing Father Abraham. And that was fun with the kids uh, to be able to do that. Uh, It's fun to sing the song, The Blessing, because it reminds us of the promise that is given to Abraham and that it would be carried on for generations. And it's not just to your children, but their children and their children and their children. And this promise continues on. And Specifically, as we were talking about Abraham, we talked about the altars that he built to God. Abraham was somebody who worshipped on the way. He didn't just worship in one place, but wherever he pitched his tent, he built an altar to the Lord. And that was a a rhythm of his life. Um, As the story progresses, we see more details. And as we look back, we get the benefit of seeing the big picture that Abraham never was able to see. And that happens in stories sometimes. Uh, Sometimes you hear a story or you've seen a movie or read a book, and then at the end of the book or the end of the story, you get additional details that informs the whole narrative. And so now you can go back and look at that story again with new eyes and you have more context because you know, oh yeah, this guy, he's going to betray that guy at the end. But you never knew that the first time that you were watching it. It's kind of cool how a story unfolds and you see more details. I remember when Star Wars The Phantom Menace came out in 1999. And this was uh, exciting for me, uh, you know, to, to go and with my family go watch this Star Wars film. I had already seen, at this point in my life, Star Wars and The Empire Strikes Back and Return of the Jedi. But after, <laughs> but after seeing The Phantom Menace, these movies take on new meaning. Now they're episodes four, five, and six. But in the 70s when they came out, they weren't episode 4, 5, and 6. It was just Star Wars, right? But as more of the story develops, you're like, oh, here's what Anakin was like as a little kid, right? You see more uh, more of the story. And this, this happens in stories. You thought you understood the story, but then something happens, and it reveals or changes the way that you see the whole thing. You've got to go back and look at the story with new information, And so as Abraham moves through the promised land, and he's tending sheep, and he's dealing with life, he's calling on the name of the Lord, building altars wherever he goes, Abraham receives these seven different promises. Uh, This is a graphic that was shared in the podcast, and so uh, they talk about it a little bit more there. But I think it's a really helpful thing. So we can see that some promises were made to Abraham that he never experienced. Um, promises that are made in these couple of chapters, they don't become fulfilled until Exodus and Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. And you can see how each of those promises is fulfilled as the narrative continues and we see more of the big picture. Some are fulfilled while he's living, but others, most of them, take centuries to be revealed. More of the story still needs to be told. You know, sometimes it's hard for us to see how God is working in the moment. 
Because oftentimes there's more of the story that still needs to be told. And so for us, finding ways to see our sometimes invisible God is essential for us to be able to live a faithful life. Does that make sense? It's, it's important for us to practice looking for God. Today, we also sang the song, Open the Eyes of My Heart. This is a prayer song that reminds us to keep on looking for God. God, open my eyes so that I can see you. I want to see you. I want to see you. Not for no reason have we sung this song. And when we read the Bible, we're reading a translation of Hebrew or Aramaic or Greek, depending on what the you know what part of the Bible you're reading from. And whenever you translate from one language to another, it's easy for us to just miss ideas and, and rhymes and alliteration or wordplay that might be going on. Uh, in my master's program, I'm, I'm slowly stumbling through elementary Greek. It's taking me longer than it should. Uh, for like three years, I've been in the elementary stages. And all I can really say at this point, honestly, is that I, I, well, I do know more than I knew when I started, which is not saying much at all. I didn't know anything, so anything that I've learned means that I've learned more now. But my main conviction is that I don't understand a whole lot. <laughs> I don't know what I don't know, and it's really easy to see what I don't know. But anyway, I say this to say, we can miss seeing things. I haven't even begun uh, to study the, the Hebrew portion of this program, but it's coming. God help me. Um, that being said, okay, that's all prefacing. Today, we're not going to get into like a full Hebrew lesson here. But we're, we're going to look at a theme in the Hebrew text that we can actually see pretty clearly, even in English, if we're paying attention, okay? So, like we talked about with books and with movies, we're going to look at some of these same texts that we looked at last week, but we're hoping now to look at it with new eyes, with more information to the story. Seeing is a major word, it's a major idea, a theme that occurs over and over in Abraham's life and in our lives as well. And so that's what we're doing this morning. We're trying to practice living lives of faith by seeing well, okay? I want to show you several passages here, and I want to rephrase it just so that we see over and over again so much about vision is mentioned or sight. It's a, it's a major theme in Abraham's life, and so I want to bring that to the surface for you. Uh, we're going to look at these passages. They're, they're slightly rephrased, but it highlights the, uh, this idea that the same Hebrew word for sight or vision is being used over and over. In Genesis 12, verse 1, uh, God talks about the land that I will show you. That means it's the land that he is going to see. Okay, um, This is just a blitz. We're going fast through this. In verse 7, he built an altar to the Lord who appeared to him. Specifically, the Hebrew text lets us know that the Lord was uh, appearing to Abraham, okay? That he was being seen by him. In uh, 13, he's given the instruction to look around to all that you see. It's all about vision and what is Abraham seeing. This is something that is being brought to the forefront as we go through this narrative. He takes him outside and he gazes into the stars. 
right? He sees the stars, and as he's encouraged to count the stars, it's about specifically what he's able to see. When the covenant is cut, and this goes into detail, more detail about this in the podcast. If you didn't uh, listen to it about the treaty, this is, this is referencing that. But the covenant is cut in the dark, pitch black, where you cannot see, where nothing can be seen but the fire pot. This is talking about the covenant that's being made. And then in 17.1 and 18.1, the Lord, again, appears to Abraham. He's seen by Abraham. Last one, um, as Abraham looks up, he sees three men. Okay, all of this, it's repetitive. These are instances of Abraham seeing what God is doing and how he is acting in his life, but it all hinges on this same word that's used over and over again that shows us that Abraham is seeing what God is doing. These are just some of the instances of this in the narrative. If you were to go into it deeper, you'd see even more. But if we were to revisit the altars that we discussed last week, we'd see that Abraham was in the pattern of seeing God wherever it was that he went. The focus of our message last week was was to worship God in a less uh, compartmentalized way. We've got to recognize and just be able to see that God's presence is available to us all the time, everywhere we go, certainly not just here on Sunday mornings. Your ability to connect with God is everywhere, and God is everywhere. And so as we try to be a less uh, compartmentalized uh, thinker, it's important for us to be able to flex these muscles, to practice seeing God in the everyday. And hopefully you've begun to do this and you've engaged a little bit with this this week. If not, we always have another chance to recognize God and how he's working in our homes and at work and at school, even when we're on the road. We have a chance to uh, consider God in our thought life and to let him in to dialogue with him in constant prayer. If, if Abraham was considering these same things and these questions and considering, did I take God along with me as I went, he might ask himself, uh, have I been seeing God in all of these areas? You can ask yourself the same question. Did you see God like Abraham did? We've got an, op- uh, an opportunity, amazing opportunity, week after week, for us to just look for God and to see him working in all that we do and everywhere we go, even in the thoughts that we think, we can take God along with us there. An awesome um, principle uh, that is repeated over and over in Scripture is that seeing God is equated to righteousness. Now, uh, Franco talked about this a, a, a little bit in the in the welcome and and even there's thoughts of it in the communion as well. But for us to to be like Abraham is to see God and then to have that counted to us as righteousness. Have you ever really thought about what it takes to be righteous, to be right with God, to be in right relationship with Him? Well, part of it is in how you see. 
It's tough. It's actually, it's, it's more than tough. The Bible says that it's actually, it's impossible in the Old and the New Testament to be righteous. Flat out, the scripture says, no one is righteous, not even one. Now, I, I certainly, I hope, if, if you're a Christian, your desire should be, well, I want to live a righteous life. You wouldn't be here this morning unless you wanted to do that and you wanted to put in effort to be able to do that. But how do you actually do it? How do you actually live a life of righteousness? Because it's not by trying harder. It's not with your great effort that you'll be counted as righteous. And so I want to show us what happens here as Abraham sees God. It's counted to him as righteousness. We'll begin reading here in Genesis 15, verse 1. Um, I began to get sick at the last song of last week. I was like, my voice ran out right at the end of the last song, and I'm only just now, like, getting back to it. So it took a week, but here I am. Here we go. Okay. We'll start reading here in uh, Genesis 15, verse 1. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. A vision, something he sees. Okay. Fear not, Abram. I am your shield, and your reward shall be very great. But Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless, and an heir, and the heir of my house is Eleazar of Damascus. And Abram said, Behold, you have given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. This man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, Look toward heaven and number the stars, if you are able to number them. And he said to him, So shall your offspring be. And he believed the Lord, and he counted it to him as righteousness. So Abraham sees God in a vision. Um, he sees God in, in this vision. He's given an incredible promise, but he's honestly still a little bit moody about it. He's complaining that Eleazar of Damascus will take his inheritance because at this point, Abram still doesn't have a son. He can't see how God's going to work it all out. And so God takes him outside and he has him see the stars. He has him look up and see the stars in the sky. And he promises Abraham who as still at this point does not have one single child, that his descendants will be like the stars that he is seeing in the sky. And here's what happens next. Abraham, because of this situation, he believes the Lord. And God counts that belief to him as righteousness. We cannot be perfectly righteous in our actions. And Abraham uh, certainly wasn't perfect either. But here, we're given a pretty unlikely path to righteousness. Don't miss this here. When we see things in God's way, he counts it to us as righteousness. It's aligning yourself with the way that God sees things. 
And actually, there is similar language that we use all of the time that communicates this same kind of idea. So when, when you say you're agreeing with somebody or if, if, if uh, you're trying to get on the same page with somebody, you say, like, oh, yeah, I see, right? Well, that, that means I agree, I understand, I see. It's about vision. Or, oh, yeah, yeah, now I'm seeing things your way. You say that because you're communicating that you're in alignment with someone else. And so Abraham, standing under a, a billion and more stars, decides to start seeing things God's way, even though he cannot understand. He sees this as impossible, but he decides to trust the way that God sees things instead of what he can see. And God calls that righteousness. He didn't at this point do anything to be counted righteous. He just changed the way that he saw the situation that he was in. He aligns his vision in such a way that he agrees with the way that God sees things. And that changed everything for him. He and God started seeing eye to eye. Of course... Uh, we're always the ones that need to change how we see things so that we can align with the proper way that God sees them. But it's difficult. It's difficult, but this is exactly what is required for us, that we would do the hard work of aligning our vision to see things in God's way, who sees with perfect clarity, with foresight um, and hindsight all at once. Okay. Is there some righteousness in your life that you're missing out on because you don't see things in the way that God sees them. Do you have some kind of long-standing disagreement with God based on how you understand something or how you see something right now? There's so many examples that we could use. Look, God, I don't care what you say, but I'm not forgiving my dad for what he did. Are you seeing things in God's way? Are you seeing them in your own? God, I don't care what you say or how you see it, but I feel this. And we emphasize how we feel about something instead of the way that God sees it. It can seem impossible. It can seem impossible in the same way that standing underneath the vast expanse of the sky would feel for God to say, yep, you, old man, who is far past, you know, with, with a wife far past childbearing age, yeah, you're going to be the father of many nations, like these stars in the sky. Doesn't make sense. But God says, when you see like I see, I'm going to count that to you as righteousness. What if you decided, even tonight, uh, the next time that there's a clear enough sky, to just go out and walk under the stars to give up your own view about something and to see things in God's way instead. I believe that God could work with that in a powerful way. In the book of Romans and in, uh, uh, in Galatians, Paul uses this same passage that we've been talking about where God makes this promise to Abraham to try to help fellow Israelites see what they need to see about Jesus. Because the Jews in the New Testament, they are not seeing Jesus in the way that God wants them or is imploring them to see Jesus. 
They want to see him in a certain way. Oh, he's going to come as like a, a messiah, as a king, a, a military ruler or leader. And God said, no, 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 no. You're not seeing it in the right way. Now, now he's, he uses this passage to start reframing how they think about Jesus. In God's way, they need to see that this is the intended Savior that is to come and that faith in Jesus, not an adherence strictly to the law of Moses, it would be the way to be able to be aligned with God. He says, no, no, no longer. It's not a strict adherence to the law. Instead, it's Jesus. You need to see it differently. But they had seen things in their own way for so long that this proves to be difficult for most everyone. And it can be difficult for us too. We can be so used to seeing things in our own way that it's challenging to start seeing them in God's way. But the Lord will provide. So last week, uh, we looked at three different altars that Abraham built. And I've already mentioned that we would reveal the fourth altar. And we saved it for today because it's the most difficult one. And it's, it, it really, it's challenging. It's challenging for us. I think it's, it was the most challenging for Abraham. And it was, I believe, most challenging for God as well. It puts into question all of the promises that Abram, Abram had come to believe because he saw that they had started to be fulfilled. They started to be revealed. And then this final altar challenges the promise that had already begun to be fulfilled. This is, of course, the sacrifice of Isaac. I'm going to read through this whole account and uh, I want you to read along with me here. I only have the first couple verses there. I didn't copy and paste this whole story, okay? But here it is. Let's walk through this together. And as we do, think about how Abram would have been feeling. Think about what he would have been considering as he's going through this most challenging altar. Verse 1, After these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, here I am. He said, take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. Okay, a couple things that's <laughs> amazing here. But this word Moriah, this name, this Hebrew name, Moriah, same root word of seeing in Hebrew. Isn't that cool? Um, it's like go to the hill country, to the high places, go to the place where you can see into the valleys. He's like, this is where I'm going to show you that I'm still faithful to you. When he says, I shall tell you, it's more like it will be revealed. It will be made manifest to you. You'll be able to see clearly. It's, it's woven all throughout the story. Verse 3, so Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, and took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac. And he cut the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. On the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place from afar. Then Abram said, Abraham said to his young men, Stay here with this donkey. I and the boy will go over there and worship and come again to you. 
And Abraham took the the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac, his son. And he took his hand, uh, uh, took his hand, uh, took in his hand the fire and the knife. And so they both went, uh, they both of them went together. Uh, Leslie did a great job walking through this in our communion uh, last week and highlighting some of the even messianic uh, foreshadowing that is coming in this uh, passage. But we don't want to miss it, right? This final altar that Abraham uh, Abraham is making, uh, where he's going to put Isaac on it, it's, it's, it's hard to even imagine this situation. To have your son carry the wood uh, for his own offering that's going to happen. Can you even imagine? Like, it, it just, I can't comprehend, you know, going on a hike with little Caleb and I say, hey boy, carry this wood, knowing what I was going to do once we got to the top. But it seems that even in this story, maybe Abraham is already beginning to see something clearly. What does he tell the people at the base of the mountain? He says, we will worship and then we will come back to you. Who's we? (laughs) Well, I believe that he already is starting to believe in God's promise, even though it doesn't look bleak or it looks bleak and it doesn't look possible that he could get through. Maybe he's already beginning to see that God can work in an impossible situation that doesn't make sense to him. Verse 7, and Isaac said to his father Abraham, my father... And he said, here I am, my son. He said, behold, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? And Abraham said, God will provide for himself a lamb for a burnt offering, my son. And so they both, uh, they, they, they went both of them together. Just, just uh, imagine hearing Isaac's innocent question. It's just heartbreaking and it's shocking even to read now. It's like, where's... Where's the, where's the lamb, Father? He's, he's seen his father do this same process, and he's like, I, I know how this goes. Like, like, we put the rocks on the thing, and then we stack them up, and we get the wood, and we, we've got the fire, we've got the knife. It's like there's one piece missing to this equation, and you've got to imagine the boys putting it all together. Starts to ask some questions. Uh, Dad... I know, I know that you know how this goes. I, it, we're kind of missing a big element here of what's supposed to happen. Verse 9. And when they came to the place of which God had told him, Abraham built the altar there and laid the wood in order uh, and bound Isaac, his son, and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here I am. And he said, do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked. And behold, behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the name of that place, the Lord will provide. As it is said to this day, on the mount of the Lord, it shall be provided. Amen. So Abraham calls this place, the Lord will provide, saying, on the mountain of the Lord, it will be 
provided. This is pretty cool. And so here's another connection we can make, but you know, this time an, an English connection. In English, we have a way of, of saying that somebody will provide. We say that they're going to see it through. I'll see to it that it gets done. See it through. And this is actually reflected in the word provide or provision. It's pro-vision, <laughs> about seeing. It has vision right there at the root. And so this proclamation of worship made by Abraham, it could be translated in a different way for us. Abraham calls the name of the place, God sees it through. Or as it could be said today, on God's mountain, God will see it through. God will see it through. I don't know where you're at right now or what you're struggling with to see or, 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 or how it's difficult for you to align your sight with God's. But God will see it through. He's willing to enter into covenants with us that he cannot break and will never break. God will see it through. And it's not actually dependent on your ability to see for him to do this. God will provide. I want to encourage us to see an even greater provision. If we stay on this mountain... Uh, but look beyond this amazing moment. There's an even more amazing moment between a father and a son of the promise. And we can see even more clearly that God will provide and he's never going to fail to see it through. Second Chronicles 3.1 says this. Then Solomon began to build the house of the Lord in Jerusalem on Mount Moriah where the Lord had appeared to David his father at the place that David had appointed on the threshing floor of Ornan the Jebusite. The Mount Moriah, well, that's, that's familiar. That's the place that we just were with Abraham. And so this is the same place, the same mountain, where the, where the Lord provided this holy presence to be, to be set. This is the same place. And this same mountain is also where the Lord would provide a new sacrifice to fulfill his promise to Abraham. To fulfill his ultimate promise to all of us. This is the site of the temple, the judgment seat of Pilate, Caiaphas' home, and the Sanhedrin, the Praetorium, and Golgotha are all perched up and around this same mountainous area. And the son of the promise, God's son of the promise, was nailed to an altar of wood on a mound of stone during a festival that celebrates God passing over the firstborn sons of Israel so that they may live. The difference is that God's firstborn was not spared. And there was no ram in the thicket to come and take the place of Jesus. The only substitution was his perfect life, which is sacrificed for our sin. It's the punishment that brought us peace that was upon him. Brothers and sisters, God will see it through. And so let's be the kind of people that live with our eyes wide open. 
looking to Jesus, the founder, the protector of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising its shame, and saw it through by sitting at the right hand of the throne of God. Amen. Let's see it through with God. Thanks for listening to this week's message from the Lansing Area Church of Christ. While we're happy to share this message via podcast, we'd love to pray and worship with you in person. To learn more about our services or to connect with us, please visit us at lansingchurch.org. Have a great week and go with God.